0: God already saw Abraham surrounded by nations of spiritual children, those who would believe in God as Abraham had believed in God.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. How does God's character factor into the great doctrine of justification by faith alone? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today we'll continue in Romans chapter 4 with more of Tom's series titled A Portrait of Faith. The Bible teaches that justifying faith is rooted deeply in the character of God. In fact, it is God alone who not only has the power to give spiritual life to spiritually dead sinners, but He also desires to do so. His merciful and gracious character towards sinners is displayed through the person and work of His Son, Jesus Christ. It is through Christ that God justifies those sinners who repent and believe. In today's message, the Apostle Paul continues his explanation of how God's very character is the foundation for justification by faith alone. Consider the issue carefully as we join Tom Pennington now for The Word Unleashed.
0: We're studying Romans chapter 4 and and Abraham's faith. Here is a verse that gives us really a foundational insight into the importance of faith. Look at verse 6 of Hebrews 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Notice what the Scripture says. Without faith, you cannot please God. It's impossible. If you don't exercise true biblical faith then it's impossible for you to please God. So, what does true faith look like? Well, notice, the one who wants to come to God is how it's put in verse 6. The one who wants to approach the true God must, first of all, believe that He is. That doesn't mean merely admitting that there is some higher power, that there is a deity that exists somewhere. No, this is much more than that. In the context of Hebrews 11, this is believing, acknowledging the existence of the one true God, the God who has declared Himself in creation, Romans 1, and the God who has declared Himself within the Scripture, Romans 2 and 3. It's not good enough to believe that there's a God somewhere. That's not faith. True faith, the kind of faith that pleases God, must be in the only true and living God. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 39, Moses writes this, Know therefore today, and take it to your heart, that Yahweh, He is God in heaven above, and on the earth below there is no other. There's only one true God. And to come to God You must come to the One who is, the One who exists, the One who is the only true God, the One who declares Himself by name to be Yahweh, the I Am, and who eternally exists as our Lord taught us in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You must believe that He is. And... The one who wants to approach the true God must not only believe that He is all that He's declared Himself to be, but also, notice secondly in verse 6, that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. You must believe in the goodness of God, in the trustworthiness of God, that God makes promises, He makes statements to us, and those are true, and He keeps His word, and He does good to those who seek Him. This is how faith, real faith, acts. And nothing is more important to you than this, because without this, it is impossible for you to please God. You must take the true God at His bare word. And to do anything less is not to please Him. Why? Because think of the opposite. 1 John 5.10 puts it this way, John writes, the one who does not believe God has made him a liar. In other words, either you take God at his bare word and you believe what he has said to be true, or if you refuse to do that, in God's mind, you are calling him a liar. Those are the options. So if you lack faith, clearly it is impossible for you to please God. In fact, look back at chapter 10, verse 38. The writer of Hebrews quotes that famous verse from Habakkuk, chapter 2, when he writes in verse 38 here, But my righteous one shall live by faith. Those who are right with me, by grace, walk, live by faith. And so, this is absolutely crucial. This is why we are in Romans chapter 4 and why we're so carefully examining Abraham's faith, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And it is through faith we come to know God, and it is by faith that we walk once we come to know Him. So, we're carefully examining the faith of Abraham. As I mentioned to you last week, art books often enlarge portions of a painting in order to show the brush so you can really understand the mastery of the artist. That's really what we're doing as we examine the portrait of Abraham's faith found here in Romans 4. Paul paints a portrait of the faith by which Abraham was justified before God, and we're putting that masterful portrait under a sort of magnifying glass and examining its brushstrokes in detail. Why? Because this is absolutely foundational. This is a key passage and an absolutely foundational concept to the Christian faith. Why? Because... This passage teaches us about justifying faith, saving faith. We can examine our own faith against Abraham's and see if ours is truly saving, justifying faith. But in addition to that, this passage also teaches us about the nature of the faith we must continue to exercise as believers every day of our Christian lives and experience. So, no passage could be more important. No concepts could be more crucial to your spiritual growth and development than this. It is at the bedrock of the Christian faith. Now, just to remind you of the context here, in Romans chapter 4, Paul is presenting his biblical defense of justification by faith alone. Having explained it in chapter 3 and chapter 4, he defends it from the Scripture. He uses one Old Testament text as his text, and that is Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, we're looking at the final section of this fourth chapter in his defense, and in this section, beginning in verse 13 and running down through verse 25, Paul answers the question, by what means are we made right with God? And again, using Abraham's example, his answer is, by faith alone. What happened to Abraham proves that the only means through which we can be justified before God is by faith alone. Now as we've seen this final section of this fourth chapter unfold, first of all, we've seen justification by faith alone stated in verse 13. He simply sets it forth as a declaration. And then in verses 14 through 16, we've seen justification by faith alone argued. In those verses, Paul lays out a series of arguments, both negative and positive, for why the only means to be justified is by faith alone. We've moved beyond that section and now we find ourselves in the third part of this section. We're looking at justification by faith alone illustrated. Using Abraham, Paul illustrates what saving faith, justifying faith looks like. Let's read it together. Now, I want to pick up in verse 16. In verse 16, at the end of the verse, just to give you the flow of the context, notice how it ends. Abraham is the father of us all, verse 17, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations. According to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be." Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, the key to this section that we're studying together, this paragraph, comes in verse 22. Notice the word, therefore. Here's Paul's conclusion. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Paul's point is that it was through the kind of faith described in verses 17 to 21 that, that God justified Abraham. In other words, Paul is using Abraham's faith as an illustration of justifying faith. This is what it looks like. This is the kind of faith based on which God, or through which I should say, God justified Abraham. And it's the same kind of faith through which He will justify us. Now, specifically, Paul here identifies several key qualities of true saving faith. Several key qualities. Last week we examined only the first quality and that is this. Saving faith is biblical faith. It can't be the kind of uh, faith that circulates around the world It's kind of a cultural, natural faith. No, it, it has to be the kind of faith Scripture describes. In fact, in, in this fourth chapter, Paul uses the noun Faith ten times, and he uses the verb believe six times. And in Greek, the noun is pistis, and the verb is pistuo. Pistis and pistuo, obviously from the same root. So together, these two words describe true biblical faith. And so last Sunday, we stepped away from our text to try to understand the kind of faith that these two related Greek words describe. And we discovered that the New Testament use of these words, pistis and pistuo, the use of them points to three elements of true saving faith. First of all, there is knowledge. In true saving faith, there must be knowledge. The only foundation for true biblical faith is knowing and understanding the truth the truth about God, the truth about sin, the truth about Christ, the truth about the gospel. You can't believe what you don't know. Often, the New Testament will say, you believe that, and there's content supplied. True faith involves knowledge. Secondly, it involves assent. This is an emotional response to the facts about Christ and salvation. This is being convinced that the knowledge that you gain from the Scripture about Christ and salvation is factually true. In other words, you assent to its truthfulness. To be genuine saving faith, there has to be knowledge of the truth, and there has to be an agreement that the, those facts are true. But saving faith doesn't stop there. There must be a crucial third element, which is trust. This is the volitional response to Christ, and it is the heart of biblical faith you weren't here last week, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen and catch up, because what I'm going to say today really builds on what we looked at last week. But this trust, what is it? Well, it means to trust in Christ and in the declarations of the gospel enough that you entrust yourself to Him. Paul describes it in Romans 10 this way, you must confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. You must believe in Him to the extent that you abandon yourself and you follow Him. You become His disciple. Short of this, it's not true saving faith. For faith to be saving, justifying faith, it must be this kind of faith. It must include all three of these elements. Now today, I want us to return to our text here in Romans 4, where we're going to discover several other qualities of justifying faith. Let's look at them together. First of all, a second quality of justifying faith is that saving faith is rooted in God's character. Saving faith is rooted in God's character. Again, let me start at the end of verse 16. Abraham is the father of us all. Skip the parenthesis at the beginning of verse 17 for now. We'll come back to it. He is the father of us all, In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Now what is this saying? In God's sight, Abraham was the spiritual father of believers even way back when God made these gospel promises to Abraham. Think of it like this. 4,000 years ago, when God called Abraham to himself and made these promises, part of which included the gospel, according to Galatians 3, God already saw Abraham surrounded by nations of spiritual children, those who would believe in God as Abraham had believed in God. Now, how could God do that? Well, notice how Paul describes God in verse 17 him whom he believed even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist now that is so important because Paul here reminds us that because of the the person and character of God Abraham's faith in God's promises was completely reasonable It made sense because of the person who made the promise. Now, that's crucial because the same is true for us. Our faith is also ultimately justified because of the person and character of the one whose promises we have believed. Now, this is true in everyday life. Imagine with me for a moment, and I hope, of course, this is never true, but For the sake of illustration, imagine with me for a moment that you are soon to be diagnosed with with stage 4 cancer. And on learning of that, one of your well-intentioned friends, someone who loves you deeply, comes to you and with full intensity of feeling says to you, I know you are going to survive this cancer. And assures you, promises you that you're going to survive this stage four cancer, and you believe this person. What is that? That's not faith. That is unfounded, irrational confidence. It is a leap of faith that doesn't even come close to resembling biblical faith. But what if you obviously need to seek medical help, and so you do the research, and you discover the world's leading specialist in the type of cancer that you have contracted. And you go and you find that surgeon or that oncologist, you meet with them, and as you sit in this person's office, this doctor who is the world's leading specialist in the kind of cancer you have says to you that he assures you that you will survive this cancer. Now understand that believing your friend is irrational. But believing the world's leading specialist on your kind of cancer is not. Why? What makes the difference? The qualifications of the one making the promise. The same is true spiritually. To believe God is not an irrational leap of faith. It is profoundly reasonable and rational. Because of who He is. Notice the two ways here that Paul describes the God in whom Abraham placed his confidence. First of all, in verse 17, he says, He believed God who gives life to the dead. He gives life to the dead. One of the 18 benedictions of Judaism, one of those ancient benedictions says this, Blessed art thou, O Lord, who quickens the dead this is one of the basic affirmations of of Judaism. Why? Because this is the consistent assertion of the Hebrew Scriptures. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Deuteronomy 32, 39. If this isn't a verse you know, it's a verse you should know, because God declares Himself in, in all of His greatness in this verse. Let me just read part of it to you. Deuteronomy 32, 39. There is no God besides me It is I who put to death, and it is I who give life. God takes complete responsibility for the control of life and death. And then he adds, I have wounded, that is, I am the one who brings sickness or brings physical injury, and it is I who heal. God says, I am the one who kills, and I am the one who makes alive. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6, in Hannah's prayer, we read, the Lord kills and the Lord makes alive. He brings down to the grave and He raises up. God and God alone controls the power over life and death. It's not some impersonal process. It's a very personal decision by a very personal God. In fact, I love the way Christ puts it in In Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, he says, I have the keys of death and the grave. In other words, it's under my authority. Nothing happens in these areas except by my authority and permission and direction. Now, obviously that's an important truth. God gives life to the dead. But the question is, why does Paul mention this truth here? I think he he intends for us to apply it at a couple of different levels. The God who gives life to the dead reminds us and assures us that he can produce a child from the physical deadness of Abraham and Sarah's bodies. Look at verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, Abraham contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, In other words, reproductively, his body might as well be dead. There was no physical hope. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. And yet Abraham believed the promise of God that he would have a child. Why? Because God is the one who gives life to the dead. This is not a problem for God. But I don't think that's all that Paul means here when he says the God who gives life to the dead. Not only can God produce a child from the physical deadness of Abraham and Sarah's bodies, but I think he also wants us to understand that God can bring spiritual life out of spiritual death. I think he's anticipating what he will say over in chapter 5. Turn over to Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore... Just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. As we'll discover when we get there, death was the result of sin, and specifically, three expressions of death. There is physical death that resulted, all men die physically. There is spiritual death, all men are born spiritually dead, and there is eternal death. For those who don't repent and believe, it is the second death, as John calls it in Revelation. So I think Paul here wants us to see that God can bring spiritual life out of a state of spiritual death. He did that with Abraham. Remember, Abraham, when God found him, was in Ur of the Chaldees, worshiping idols. He was falling down in front of stones and and images. God brought him out of spiritual death into spiritual life.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that was part three of his series titled A Portrait of Faith. Tom will bring you part four next time, and we hope you'll join us then. In a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of The Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at one eight seven seven five seven seven word And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org where you'll find other resources including additional series from The Word Unleashed. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org